Today on Ag News Daily. You know, the pandemic sent us all home and trying to do that kind of same level of reporting, capture that same level of kind of flavor and color in stories while, you know, only really being able to access people via Zoom was a challenge. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say, I'm in a really great mood today. I don't know if it's just because it's Friday and I'm excited for the weekend or if, I don't know, I just woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. I'm in a good mood today. I've been watching the Olympics this morning, the Olympics opening ceremonies. Oh, I did not realize that was today. I have not been staying on top of that. Are you an Olympic watcher, Ashton? Um, maybe casually, but I like my dad, he really likes to watch the Olympics. So if he has it on, I'll watch it, but I don't kind of go out of my way to. Okay, that's fair. I am the opposite. I love the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics. So I'm super excited to watch them this year. I do have to say I'm probably more of a fan of the Summer Olympics than the Winter Olympics. I'll side with you there. Yes, I uh, think a lot of people would side with us there, but everybody has their own tastes and preferences on what their favorite event is. Uh, I think personally, my favorite event is probably beach volleyball, or I really like track. Interesting choices. I really enjoy watching the gymnastics portion. You know, before I was a uh, famous podcaster, Delaney, I actually taught gymnastics. So hmm. I like to watch the, the gymnasts. I had no idea. Yeah, I uh, taught the really little kids. I taught like two-year-olds. So I wasn't doing triple flips in the air or anything like that. I don't think I could do that. But I don't know. My forward role is pretty killer. Well, that's very interesting. Guess maybe not quite good enough for the Olympics, but uh, you definitely probably have more gymnastics abilities than I ever do or will have. That was not my strong suit growing up. I tried it and not for me, but anyways, Ash, and I suppose we should probably quit chit-chatting and uh, put together some news for our listeners for today. What have you been watching? Well, this one, Delaney, I included in the network newsletter, and it actually is a couple of days old. It, this article came out on July 15th, but I thought it was pretty interesting. So I definitely wanted to talk about it because the USDA has approved blood swabs and spots as samples for official African swine fever testing during foreign animal disease investigations. According to Schick, uh, we've had Dr. Paul Sundberg on um, a few times to talk to him this year at World Pork Expo. And he actually says that these are an important addition to anti-mortem samples previously approved since August 2018. The full list of approved samples now includes whole blood, tonsil, spleen, lymph nodes, spleen swabs, blood swabs, and blood spots. However, while these are important additions, Dr. Sunberg says more work needs to be done to fully integrate blood swabs and blood spots into the African Swine Fever Active Surveillance Program, as well as the African Swine Fever Red Book. Per the USDA, the National Animal Health Laboratory Network Laboratories and state animal health officials have been notified that blood swabs and spots have been added to official African swine fever testing tissues. USDA plans to follow up to get controlled copy protocols in place. Dr. Sunberg says that collaborative work continues to get the details and gaps identified and addressed. So I thought that was pretty interesting, and I am no 
scientists definitely don't compare, you know, to the knowledge that Dr. Paul Sundberg has, but I would assume that these blood swabs and blood spots makes it a little bit easier to identify foreign animal diseases, in particular African swine fever in this case. It certainly sounds that way, Ashton. I definitely thought it was pretty interesting myself, Delaney, but hopefully we won't ever get African swine fever here in the U.S. But I mean, we always have to stay on our toes. And especially from a biosecurity standpoint, if we ever get, you know, anything, uh, any other foreign animal diseases outside of African swine fever. But that's all I have on that front. Like I said, not super sciencey. So maybe we'll have to get someone on to talk a little bit more about that. But Delaney, do you have any science related news for us? today? I don't think I have any science-related news. Most of my news today is actually uh, government-related, but I'm going to dive in here quickly first to one weather-related piece of news, and that is looking at drought and how that is continuing to impact crops on both sides of the U.S.-Canadian border, prompting wheat farmers to take a very rare measure. And farmers are now reporting on both sides of the border that they are actually bailing their wheat and barley stems to sell as hay because a lot of the wheat in those in the northern plains, the Dakotas, um, and into Canada are dealing with severe drought and wheat quality has been a concern. So bailing is an alternative that they are turning to to provide forage for livestock uh, operators who are struggling to find available pastures to feed their cattle. I was actually just talking last night with a gentleman who sells equipment and uh, he was chatting with me saying that he's seen a lot of cattle ship eastward because of the lack of grass and pasture ground available for a lot of folks in the Dakotas, Wyoming, Montana, etc. And so we're uh, seeing that play out here in the wheat market as well. And watching folks, unfortunately, not be able to take advantage of these continuing rally prices in the wheat complex. Well, Delaney, I don't have a whole lot to talk about today, but I'm going to follow that up with some news coming out of the timber industry. Since USDA rolled out the Pandemic Assistance for Producers initiative back in March, the agency has announced over $7 billion in assistance, of course, to producers and ag entities. And in its latest assistance, USDA is providing up to $2 million to provide relief for timber harvesting and timber hauling businesses that have experienced losses due to COVID-19 as part of the Pandemic Assistance for Producers initiative. Bloggers and truckers can apply for assistance through USDA's Farm Service Agency July 22nd. That was yesterday, so it's already open through October 15th. The Pandemic Assistance for Timber Harvesters and Haulers Program, or PATH, is administered by FSA in partnership with the U.S. Forest Service. So folks, if you want some more information on this, you can go to farmers.gov slash PATH. That's P-A-T-H-H for more information and how to apply, who's eligible, things of that nature. Flash. And speaking of assistance for producers, we are going to potentially see some additional disaster relief provided for producers here for the years of 2020. 
2020 and 2021. We had the WIP or WIP Plus, the Wildfire and Hurricane Indemnity Program that compensated producers for losses experienced in 2018 and 2019. And it appears the House and Senate Agriculture Committees are looking to add an extension to WIP Plus that would allow some additional compensation to those farmers and be included in the end of the year spending bill. So we don't know yet if that is going to get pushed through, but that is a possibility for U.S. producers impacted by some of those tough situations. I also wanted to add it here, add here that for producers looking into a CRP ground, there's been a little bit of controversy going on. Uh, today is the deadline to sign up for general sign up for the CRP Conservation Reserve Program, but apparently top Republicans on the Senate Ag Committee are questioning whether the resulting contracts will be valid. This is reported by AgriPulse. They obtained a letter by Senator John Boozman, and the letter basically questions, brings into question the legality of the new CRP contract rates. Uh, and what from he says is violating provisions of the official 2018 Farm Bill. So he sent a strongly worded letter to Secretary Vilsack on Thursday bringing to light these potential issues. And he said, quote, Program programmatically, I am concerned that USDA is preparing to enter into questionable CRP contracts covering millions of acres that will leave the farming and financial plans of thousands of farmers and ranchers in disarray if and when these contracts are ruled out of compliance with the authorizing statute. So definitely some question there. Vilsack has not yet answered to my knowledge, but will stay abreast of that and see if anything comes about it. I'm glad you're staying on top of those things, Delaney. I'm all out of news. I know you had a little bit today. So do you have anything else for us to talk about before we get into the markets? I think really that was kind of my final news story here today, Ashton, other than chatting markets and markets are continuing to have some push-pull action, trying to make up their minds whether they want to trade news and weather or trade news of Chinese cancellations and or export sales cancellations for that matter, as I reported yesterday. So we had, again, some red on the screen today to finish up the week. I think we ended about a percentage higher in corn contracts overall. Uh, so we did see a little bit of positive movement to the upside, but overall, not much movement going on, especially in the corn market today. September down 17 and a quarter cent to close at 547 and a quarter. The December down 18 and a quarter to close at 543. In the soybean pits today, the September contract down 13 and a quarter cent to close at 1355 and three quarters. The November down 10 and a half cents to close at 1351 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the wheat pits today, we saw weakness across pretty much all wheat complexes as the Minneapolis September contract down 20 and a half cents to close at 8.83 and a half. The Deese down 21 and a half cents to close at 8.70 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock for today, we had green across the screen as the August live cattle contract closed up 70 cents to close at 121.50. The October up 47 and a half cents to close at 127.15. In the feeder cattle pits today, the strength continued as the August contract added a dollar eighty-seven and a half to close at one sixty oh seven and a half. The September up a dollar eighty-two and a half to close at one sixty-two fifty-two and a half. 
And hopping over into the lean hog market today, the August contract up 70 cents to close at 107.35. The October up 90 cents to close at 92.62 and a half. And lastly, to wrap things up here, we've got to check out the class three dairy milk futures, which had some strength today as well. The August contract added nine cents to close at 16.48. September up a dime to close at 16.92. Ashen, let's turn it over to your conversation that I unfortunately had to miss with today's AgGrad 30 under 30 interview, Sarah Mock. Today for our 30 under 30 conversation, we are chatting with Sarah Mock, who is a freelance agriculture and rural issues journalist. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Sarah, before we get started talking about life as a freelance journalist, which I I suspect is pretty neat because I do some freelancing myself, of course, nothing like you do, I'm sure. But before we get started talking about that, let's hear a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I actually grew up um, on a kind of small family farm, really more of a hobby farm in Wyoming. Uh, and that's where I kind of got my start. Uh, went off to college thinking that I was leaving that part of my life behind, that I was going to go do something more interesting or more important. Uh, and then actually I got about halfway through college and realized that become being from a farm is actually one of the more interesting and important things about me. Uh, so inevitably got kind of pulled back, um, spent about a year abroad working in different kind of parts of international agricultural development and uh, ended up back in the States after school and working in uh, for a couple of ag tech companies in California um, before I made the jump, uh, started working for RFD TV at the very beginning of the Trump administration. Actually, me and Secretary Sonny Perdue had the same first day on the job, um, was spent about three years reporting as the Washington bureau chief for RFD TV. And then in 2019, made the leap into freelance reporting in the ag space and yeah, have been doing that ever since. It's been a wild ride to freelance through the pandemic. I certainly bet that it has, Sarah. Why don't we touch on that a little bit? How did the pandemic really affect the way that you operated as a freelancer? Yeah. So the funny thing is I was actually on a reporting trip the week of like March 13th, which was, you know, the week of um, President Trump sat down and did like a big, his big speech from the White House and ended travel to Europe and things got really like no one really knew what was happening and how things were going to go. So I actually had to, I was up in upstate New York uh, reporting a story about farm workers and the changes that were going on in New York state earlier in 2020 and ended up coming back to um, uh, having to like, basically like in the middle of a week long trip, just like leaving and and like driving home basically in the middle of the night uh to make sure you know my editor said you know you're in new york we don't know what's happening with new york city so like we don't know maybe the state borders are going to close so like you should probably just go home right now um but yeah the biggest thing was just you know i've spent most of my both reporting career you know when i was at rfd tv and as a freelancer just spending a lot of time on farms kind of out in the countryside meeting people in person, you know, spending time when I was in Washington, or I mean, I still live in Washington, but when I was, uh, you know, really focused on policy, you know, going to the Hill, going to the White House, going to USDA, and then, you know, the pandemic sent us all home and trying to do that kind of same level of reporting, capture that same level of kind of flavor and color in stories. Well, you know, only really being able to access people via Zoom was 
a challenge. And Sarah, I kind of want to dive into the challenges that you face as a freelance journalist a little bit more because it it definitely is, I think, a, a career that uh, is very challenging. So what are some things that you find challenging in your position on a day-to-day basis and how do you kind of overcome those challenges? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, the most challenging thing about freelancing is probably just that there's like basically no money in journalism, uh, especially for freelancers. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time pitching, researching, kind of getting a story ready to take to a publication. And, you know, by the time you've spent a month on it and like, you know, several dozen hours, you, you come out with like, you know, $800 or $1,200 and doesn't seem like a great return. Um, it's tough because it's also very, very fun. Um, and it, you know, I still catch myself when I'm out, you know, on the ground reporting, you know, whether it's with farmers or, you know, in like a food spaces, just being like, oh my gosh, like, how is this my job? This is so cool. But, um, you know, the challenge of just being out, you know, freelance journalism is basically entrepreneurship. It's just, you're constantly selling, you're constantly, um, you know, trying to get new contracts, trying to get new, you know, to pitch stories, to come up with new stories, to be kind of on the cutting edge, to stay in tune with, you know, what is news, but then also what editors want, what, um, you know, is exciting, what, yeah, just a huge range of kind of topics and and things and, you know, what's going on behind the scenes as well. So being able to balance that and kind of organize and then also be self-motivated, because that's the other thing is you don't, that you you don't really have a boss to tell you like you know you need to you need to sell six stories this month or you need to you need to file you know every Wednesday at this time it's just like you know you kind of build your own structure and live within it and um you know optimize around the way that you work and yeah I mean I'm almost three years into freelancing and I feel like I'm still really figuring that part of it out Sarah, I kind of want to talk about the differences of being someone in-house or, you know, companies having in-house communications teams versus, you know, finding some some freelance work. It's been, I'm in college myself and a lot of my professors, we would have discussions about how difficult it might be um, to kind of go out and, and sell yourself in the industry as a freelancer or as um, somebody who has their own media company trying to kind of sell yourself to uh, other companies that um, already have people in-house. I don't know if this question kind of makes sense. I think I'm wording it a little bit funny, but hopefully my message is still getting across here about um, the differences there and why freelancing might be a, a better option and maybe where the industry is kind of heading in that standard. Totally. Yeah. Now, this is a great question. And I would say... Um, Freelancing is, I think, becoming, I I would put freelance reporting and freelance communication work in kind of like that gig economy space where, yes, it is definitely becoming more um, common and companies are a lot more open. You know, I think especially old in like the old school world when I, at the very beginning of my career, it was very much about like the agency that you worked with and, you know, companies worked with like a very limited number of people. But, you know, more and more I see organizations and companies being interested in just like, you know, they're looking for what's fresh. They're looking for what's new. They're excited about trying things out. Um, And so there's a lot of potential out there for freelancers. I would say the, 
I've been wanting to freelance basically since I left college. And I am very glad that I waited, you know, several years to have a really strong network um, because so much of the, especially the first couple of, you know, of, of contracts that I did of stories that I wrote were, I would never have gotten them if I hadn't have met those editors or those organizations or journalists at those publications before I started freelancing just having that network in place and being able to go and like tap, you know, what we're basically like, you know, one of the fun things about freelancing, especially when you have been around a little bit is like, you're kind of, you're kind of just going to your friends who, you know, you've met at conferences or who you've just like worked around or near and, you know, saying, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could work together for a little while and being able to, you know, you leverage those relationships to get the kind of opportunities that you want is really important. And it's really, really, really hard to do that if you just don't have the network yet. So I would say if folks are out there listening, interested in freelancing, I would say make sure that you spend some time first, like building that network and having, you know, a deep set of people that you can fall back on who even if they can't like hire you themselves are going to be well-placed to connect you to other people who have opportunities or um, yeah, help you basically like get your first set of work because that is, I mean, as anyone who's ever like done babysitting or dog walking or any of those things, like the hardest thing or freaking Uber, Uber driving. Um, the hardest thing is just like that first getting that first client who's going to tell the ne- your next client that like you did a good job. So that would be my advice is make sure you have that before you dive into the the pretty risky world of freelancing, um, make sure you have that person who's going to give you that first recommendation kind of already lined up. And Sarah, I'm, I'm going to ask you for a little bit more advice here, because I think a lot of young freelancers struggle a little bit when it comes to um, an industry payment standard and, you know, feeling like their work is worthy of, you know, X amount of dollars. So how did you initially kind of talk about how much you wanted to get paid for your time? Because obviously that's a, a very valuable asset and your work is a valuable asset as well. So how did you initially kind of set that standard for yourself? This was very hard and probably the biggest, like, initial mistake that I made in my freelance career was just, you know, I think I jumped into freelancing knowing that I wanted to take a little bit of a break um, right away. So I didn't have gigs that I like lined up while I was still at my previous job. And so then by the, when my break was kind of coming to an end and I was looking around for jobs, it was basically like the first job I got, I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be the only job I ever get offered? I have to take it. Um, and so, you know, I thought about how much, you know, how many hours they were offering, what kind of work it was and what seemed reasonable to me. And I quoted them a price and they were like, yeah, sure. Great. And just like realizing that, like, I probably charged them less than half of what I should have. Um, basically like what, like the industry rate for that kind of work was what they had been paying other people on the team. Um, yeah, just like, I did not. I spent too much time thinking about like what I thought the work was worth, which we tend to, especially women, I will say, always tend to like undervalue their own contributions and their own, the value of their own work and not enough time looking at, you know, or looking at what other people make in the kind of publicly available information online. And then also talking to people who are doing the kind of work I was doing. So besides that, you know, I think the other big, um, 
powerful lesson that I learned in that first year was basically, you know, a few months after that, I got an offer to do a project that I wasn't super enthusiastic about, but um, it was with a company I was familiar with. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. They're really interested in having me. I'll put together a proposal for them. But because I wasn't super interested in doing the work, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to basically reject them by just quoting like an insane price. Like they're definitely going to say no. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to charge them way too much money. Um, and so I put like a rate that I thought was truly incredible and truly like, this is, they're going to very transparently see that this is a rejection. And then they accepted, um, and ended up paying what I felt was way too much money. Um, but yeah, it was a great lesson. And like, you know, one, I think how much how much you will grow in a situation and how much you are excited about a situation. I think that's okay to take into account when setting a rate, but also just like, you know, if, if someone really wants you and you quote them a price that's way too high, you can always renegotiate with them. But if you quote them a price that's way too low, you can't renegotiate with them. Um, So just, you know, I would say, do your research, understand where like maybe industry rates are for that, for the kind of work you do. Talk to as many people as you can find other freelancers who are doing work similar to you and ask them for advice because they, that was an invaluable resource to me. And then also just like, don't be afraid to, to charge what you, you know, to charge a price that you think seems like way too much, especially because I think the other thing that freelancers and I, me, I I won't group all freelancers into this, but, um, you know, tend to not think about is, you know, if a company was going to pay someone who worked for them to do the work that you are going to do, they would have to cover not only like an hourly rate, but also health insurance. Also, you know, uh, they would provide them an office and technology and, you know, other kind of work-related benefits as well as, you know, personal benefits. And that therefore like it it doesn't make sense to charge them, say like what they pay their hourly, what they pay their employees, because you are, you know, covering your own taxes, you are covering your own um, resources and equipment, you are buying your own health insurance or kind of the, some of those other things. So yeah, make sure you're talking to other freelancers, not just, you know, being aware of what the company pays their own employees because you as a freelancer are not their employee. You're providing them a service. So make sure you're charging them for it. Awesome. That is great stuff there, Sarah. I appreciate the advice that you're hopefully giving some young freelancers or maybe those who are wanting to do that at some point. But I wanted to thank you again once more for coming on today and talking to me. And definitely, I think one of my favorite 30 under 30 conversations, and we've had quite a few of those. And congratulations once more for being a part of the 30 under 30 cohort. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again there to Sarah for joining me this morning to chat about freelance work and really how to sell yourself, whatever you're a freelancer. I think that that's a pretty important skill to to harness. Oh, yes, Ashton, you definitely have probably been working on that skill and you will probably continue to work on that skill. But at the end of the day, it's also great because you get to work for yourself in that instance. Absolutely, Delaney. But folks, before heading into the weekend, if you missed any of our episodes this week, you can go back and listen to those on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.